Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another of these fun interview episodes of the SWW Show. I'm Mike. Today, with me, a special returning guest to talk about what it's like to actually launch a game and not just when we're in the fun early access stages of Panic. Uh, so today, I I have with me uh, one of the developers behind good old Pop Up Dungeon that we ta- we talked to him about a year ago. Enrique, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me back on. Perfect. So yeah, so I was going through this as I talked to you and they were like, oh, like, oh, we haven't talked in a year. And I saw your game came out. So I was looking through it. So we, the episode came out, looks like on October 14th of last, 4th of last year. So we probably talked basically about a year ago. So obviously uh-huh. the big thing of the game that's changed through talk is your game is actually out. It's been out now for about four weeks. Uh, first yeah. question I have is how, like, how much is your stress level like down a thousand percent since it came out? Well, um, put it to you this way: I had uh, probably gained like fifteen pounds thanks to the COVID uh, lock, you know, the, the sort of shut-in lifestyle, and then I immediately lost like twenty pounds on just about a week or so of the launch. So it was very stressful. I basically have no appetite, couldn't sleep, et cetera, et cetera. But it went fairly well. I think we were, like, actually maxed out, thankfully. If, if it would have gone any better than that, I don't know what we would have done. We couldn't have kept up with everything. And one of the big things about, you know, launching an indie game is that uh, you don't really have enough testing, even though we had a lot of great testers from our, our Kickstarter backers, and we even had people helping us with a QA team that was set up through Humble. We still had so many things that we hadn't caught, so many bugs we hadn't encountered. Uh, that it was just overwhelming to try to deal with it all at once. And so we, we basically maxed it out. I think if, if the game did any better than it did, we would have maybe, like, our health would have suffered even more. I don't know. I like how you're concerned because if the game did better, you'd have had a problem. That's usually a good sign to yeah. have. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, well, we had, like, uh, at one point, we had, like, 400 or so messages. And, and these are not just, like, little messages, like, hey, cool game or something... These are like in-depth questions about mechanics or a bug or like some interaction with like a third-party program. Like a, you know, like we had a lot of trouble with um, all, all these antiviruses and things like this that blocked the game from even launching. So it was just a lot to deal with at once. So I, I guess we're going to take this as the positive sign of your launch went really well. Um, so one of the things <laughs> I love talking to devs about in a weird way right now is obviously – we're in a fun little global pandemic right now. And you guys yeah. uh, were obviously in the very important tail end of development uh, when when this all happened. So I'm curious, kind of, obviously you said you gained weight. We're going to go there. Uh, but otherwise you said, okay. how how is was development changed really from the pandemic point of view? So as an indie dev, I think the one thing you can't do is complain about how it went for you. Because for us, we were always shut-ins. We were always basically just cloistered in our house making games 24 7 so it didn't affect us that much it affected our family and our sort of support structures so like for instance my daughter could no longer go to school so that was a major change that affected everyone and not just us but um you know couldn't go to the gym couldn't go shopping just the just the standard stuff that affected everyone affected us as well so we lucked out. I still think that obviously the, the profession and the industry of indie game design was not affected compared to other ones. 
but um, it's just stressful, and you know, it's stressful for just humans living in this world who care about its future. Mm -hmm. Nice. So as we so as we kind of get into some of the big stuff, I think that's important about going back to these when I ever talk to a dev a second time. Obviously, when I talked to you the first time, I think you guys had relatively secured Humbles as a, as a publisher at that point. You were still very early on in development of this game. So one of the big things I'm very curious about is, kind of as I did research for you, is uh, apparently you guys have um, a lot of and relatively very famous voice actors in this game. I'm kind of curious if you can talk <laughs> about how you secured those and like going through that process. Because that's not a thing we always hear a ton with indie games. Okay, so... Whoops, sorry about that. Uh, so any anything that, you know, any person that you reach out to, any uh, agent, anything, it's just its own unique challenge. So I, I basically had to take a different approach for almost every person that I, you know, worked with. Some of them were very easy. It was just a matter of sending them a message and they say yes. The other one was months of back and forth. We had we had months of back and forth with people that, I, you know, I'd rather not mention because I, I you know, don't want to call them out or anything. But, um, you know, famous, high-profile people that had said, yes, I had sent them contracts and all this. And, and at the end, it just doesn't work out because of timing or whatever. And so, it, you know, it, it's a real complicated process that I could definitely see why there's such a thing as a casting director <laughs> and it's a whole job. Um, but I just had to do that on the side. Uh, obviously, the big names uh, that we were secured at the end were just based. I guess it's because of the pandemic sort of making it uh, – you know, so that there's less work. I guess people were more inclined to agree to an indie title, so uh, we kind of lucked out there, I guess. Yeah. And we put all of our we put all of our development and budget basically into voice because I felt that it was very important to bring the game to life. Since it's just a bunch of cardboard cutouts and little paper craft characters, you need that voice to really imbue uh, life into the character. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, so going at your list, I, I, unless I, so I miss Cutchin, I think probably the biggest name you guys got was Matthew Mercer, which when I saw that, I was like, okay, wow, you guys actually, like, this is some stuff where, like, a lot of times I see, like, you kind of see some people in the indie scene, and I'm like, oh, no, you guys got some actual names. And in my head, I was like, that had to be very fun to try to secure all these people. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. I was, was going to say, the big one at the end was uh, uh, John Delancey, uh, you know, Q and Discord from My Little Pony. That, that was definitely a... a very surprised get at the very end that we got. <laughs> I can only imagine every time you guys someone actually came back with a signed contract, you're like, okay, how do you write this press release the best thing humanly possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, so I was going through and playing the game chain today and yesterday since I still had it lying around from when we last talked. And um, first of all, I want to compliment you. A lot more polished since the last time I touched the game and like felt like a very complete logistical project. I remember last time I think we talked about like I think it was at the time when we talked, like the tutorial was iffy, quite not there, like there was some of that stuff. Um oh, yeah. what I want to talk about was what I was really impressed by was how in depth you got those systems for creating the thing. So I was working on like making enemies this morning and like yeah. that thing to me I'm like that feels like a game by itself, just this enemy creator. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I kind of equate it to two separate games. So you've got your game that you're actually playing, and the creation side of things is almost like a puzzle. You're trying to fit together a bunch of elements to make sure that the end result is not just kind of how you wanted it to play, but also fitting into the dynamics and the mechanics of the game so that it actually plays well. It, it's quite a puzzle. Yeah, so that's what I was curious about is how did you... How did you, because you guys never grew to that big of a team, I'm assuming. It's really you and a few other people. And how did you guys balance that level of, like, 
of of the importance of the creators versus what they can create like the like so the idea of like balancing the creation of the enemies versus like being like here's some preset things with some options kind of right so i i think the whole um core push of this game at the very beginning and this this started seven years ago you know with just the the concept of it is that we were going to create a system that allows you to create anything you know and anything instead of a well the scope of a tactical rpg and a little tabletop game so that was the priority the priority wasn't to make it easy i mean we could have made it easy by you just you know selecting a skin or a set of pre-made um, characteristics set of pre-made abilities all this but we wanted it to be something that uh, isn't typically done because, you know, you've seen that a lot. You've seen that in, in a lot of different games. And this is something that isn't done because, of course, it is difficult. So when you when you present a player with the capacity to do anything and that it's going to have to be balanced and they're working within a system that they don't fully understand yet, it's a complex thing. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a big ask for the creators. But so far, I mean, if you've seen the workshop, I've just been blown away by the amount of content and the really cool stuff that people have come up with already. So I think the system's doing well. I think the only time that people sort of butt heads with the system is when they think that they're going to go into it and it's going to be just the same as specking a, a character in, in a game. And it's going to be definitely more in-depth than that. But we try to make it as familiar and as comfortable. And also, you know, you're not going to totally break the game. Your, your enemy may just not work exactly like you wanted it um it may not be as as powerful as you wanted it these sort of things and that's what you learn with time you learn how to manipulate the stats how to add negatives here and tweak these variables so that the enemy is more powerful so it also grants the capacity for uh you know a gain in uh skill within creation that's not just artistic but it's actually also technical within the game which i think is is uh you know something that a lot of people respond very positively to yeah no that is that is definitely of like just it's just amazing to me whenever i see something like that because i'm like i'm like that's always my problem as a game creator is always like the whole like being like okay when, when does the sub thing become too much of the main product to me versus like the big thing especially if you guys have such this balancing act of either of you okay being so level in depth like still has to be a base level of like not scaring everyone away yeah, that's the tough part. So uh, and that's why the game is there, you know, and, and the game uh, we we put in there, it's not just like, uh, I guess, like Crisis to the Crytek engine. It's not just a demo. It's not just a tech demo. But it, it is actually one of the impetus of, of the design in the entire game is to show also what the system does. Mm -hmm. So we have, to, we have to make sure that all of the major uh, mechanics and, 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 and uh, features are demonstrated within one campaign or the other. And there's still a few things that we weren't able to, to do because there's just so much that you can do, and, and we will do that uh, moving forward. But I think that the, uh, the main thing that we've noticed has given people a little bit of uh, a scare, as you said, is that uh, it looks like, and a lot, a lot of times people will say, it's an adorable game. It's like, oh, it looks so cute. And it looks like something like is going to play simply that is just going to come in. You, you, you roll some dice, you, you play, and that, that's the end of that. And it does not play but it at is, all. But it, but it, yeah, but I'm saying some people, because I get the feedback, I get a lot of feedback, they have that impression that they're coming in, they're going to play an indie game, it looks kind of cute, and, and that it's going to be simple. And it is as simple as we can make it, but it is also in depth. So mm -hmm. in other words, it, it's like you're, you're buying into a 
a new system like a D&D or something, you can't just jump into D&D. If I started trying to play D&D for the first time, it'll be like two hours before I'm even rolling a dice and I will know what's happening, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a matter of, of acclimating yourself to the system and knowing that you're getting into a, like a new role-playing game system. And when you approach it that way, I don't think it's overly complicated, but people... Oh, I, I think I think we temporarily lost him. Recently, there we go. I think you're back. I think you I think you kicked on your Wi-Fi. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I think there was another call coming, but um, yeah. So you know, I I was playing um EverQuest recently. You know, EverQuest one, um, just for nostalgia, and then I was playing some Guild Wars two and World of Warcraft and things like this, just because you know I can't meet up with friends anymore, so we wanted to play something that would be uh you know online, and. A lot of times, I mean, with World of Warcraft and, and EverQuest, I'm I'm like an old veteran. But with Guild Wars 2, and it's a game that is not designed to be super complicated, I don't know what half of the stats do. I don't know what's going on half the time. You know, you change your weapon out and you're playing a different class all of a sudden. But it's it just, it's working. You know, I'm just, I'm getting through it and I'm learning it as I go and it's no big deal. Now, if they said after five minutes of playing, because some people want to do that, if they's like, hey, you, you just played Guild Wars 2 for two hours or five minutes or whatever. Now go make a Guild Wars 2 character from scratch. Well, I'm not going to know what to do, and I'm going to be a little bit frustrated. So that's the the main thing that is difficult about pairing these two things together, is that on one end you have a, a game that should take you 8 to 12 hours to fully grasp, and then on the other side you have a, create, a creation tool that shouldn't actually be touched until you have a full grasp of the game, but that's not how people operate. They, if they want to create a character, they want to jump into that as soon as possible. So that's why we've added all the tool tips that we have recently where you can just right-click an ability card and get every piece of information from every aspect of the card by just hovering over it mm -hmm. and all of these things that I, I wish we would have launched with, but we just unfortunately didn't have time to, to get all that polish in. No, and that, that makes sense. So that is actually what I was going to ask as we get tail into this is what is the plan for you guys next then? Are you guys going to keep updating this? Do you have any like porting plans? Do you guys have talked about anything like that or? Yeah. So we're going to keep supporting this as much as we can. Um, we're going to uh, finish up with basically what we're doing now, which is just the, I guess the non glamorous stuff, the things that's just improving backup saves and doing cloud saves and the tutorialization and bug fixes and, and improvements to the existing content. But then we're going to get right into the uh, list that we've presented to players, which they can vote on on our Discord server. Um, you know, th there's just a poll going. And so we've, we're seeing what people want us to create next. So we're sort of planning it out for the next two to three months where we're going to be focused on just improving the game as is. And then based on the performance of the game at that point, we would be able to make a decision whether, you know, it's actually financially solvent to make a port or not. It's really not up to us in the sense that, um, you know, if, if, the, if the game doesn't seem to have the player base that would merit it, well, it would just be like literally like throwing away money for us to do it. So we can't afford that. So it, it's just a matter of seeing how it performs. So I, I can't say that we will or won't do a port. I'd love to. But uh, again, it just matters on whether there's the interest level or not. Perfect. Well, then let's let's work on making sure we sell you that final thing to make sure that uh, you're able to make these ports. So as we talk about the entire time, the game recently out uh, a little under a month ago at this point is Pop-Up Dungeon. You can find it on Steam and the Humble Bundle Store, I assume, because you're 
actually published yeah. by them. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And then, you heard the man, you keep buying his game, it might come on the Nintendo Switch, like Ebony Quest, at some point in the future. But you have to buy the game to do that. Uh, is there any other places I should send them, like your Discord or your socials? Yeah, the Discord would be good. That's probably the best way to reach us. Um, you can find that through our website, which is popupdungeon.com, or there's going to be uh, links to it in our latest announcement on Steam. So you can find us in all sorts of ways. I think it's just like discord.gg slash popupdungeon for, for the for the Discord server, but I'm not 100% sure of the, the URL for that. No, not a problem. Definitely we'll make sure to link it down below. And then, uh, as he said, go on the website, popupdungeon.com, and you could find it. Uh, again, Enrique, thanks for talking to me as you're very busy right now, and I appreciate how this sounded like one of those sketchy talk show radio interviews with how your audio sounds, so it makes it even better. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for having me again. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another these fun interview episodes of the SWW Show. I'm Mike. Today I have with me a special guest from all over the world. Uh, to start this out, can you please tell us your name and then the game we're going to talk about? Uh, hello, my name is William Burke, and I'm uh, the uh, solo developer of the game Teen Can. So let's let's start there, I guess. So you're the solo developer. You're, so you, it's the term solo developer in quotes, right? Because no, no, it's basically around this world. Very few people are solo developers in in the truest sense yeah. of the term. Yeah. How how, how has that been? Because one of the big things I've been asking developers the entire time is like, how has COVID changed them? Uh, but like being a solo developer, I'm curious, kind of like, how do you, is it like, is it just like motivation is harder now? Or is it like, it's obviously like communication and probably isn't the same breaking point. You mean in terms of what happened with COVID? Or like, how is, how is that Or just in general. Like you developing this game. So like, obviously when you're a team of like 50 people, it's really obvious how COVID has changed development of a lot of games. Where like, if you're, the, yeah, definitely. If you're the like developer, that's like the one in the engine, like, it probably hasn't changed you communicating with the other developers because that's just you and a mirror. Yeah, well, it, it, exactly. It hasn't really changed anything. Um, I still have a, an associate who's more uh, like my producer, uh, so we're constantly exchanging. But uh, we're, we were already living in different towns, uh, so we would already be talking over the, the phone or Discord or whatever. So there wasn't really any change apart from the fact that we felt like it was the end of the world, but we still were working on the same game. Uh, I mean, no- nothing else really changed. I can, I can even say that it got me a bit more motivated to work on the game because I had, I had less distraction uh, being locked inside for two months. So maybe that's a good point. Uh, where are you guys based out of? Because the term, uh, you get to say the term locked out two months, because I'm in America, and I don't know if you realize we're still kind of, like, as locked down as ever. Yeah, I'm I'm living in France. Yeah, so France is interesting, because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't hear a ton about France and COVID on the news. Well, um, so what happened was pretty similar to most of the European countries. Uh, uh the, the first who went into lockdown uh it was italy because they they got hit the, the first um so they went into full lockdown like a couple weeks before we did mm-hmm. we didn't really see it coming uh to be honest like uh it was like we were all living normally and we would hear about what was going on in italy and the number of cases just growing here in france but everything was pretty sudden because the government kept saying that 
um, everything was okay and everything would be fine and there was no need to panic. And uh, they literally kind of, uh, uh, from one day, to, in, in the space of three days, we went from uh, everything's fine to all right, from tomorrow, you're going to be locked inside and you're not allowed outside. Wow, that is that is kind of something. And I do appreciate how you guys are like, my understanding, you're, you're in geography, you're kind of like kind of next to Italy and you're all like, oh, look at those Italians. Look, wonder what's happening to them. Which, yeah, which that's exactly like, what happened. <laughs> it's kind of like what it felt like in America, because I remember I kept, we kept being like, huh, Italy is really, what's happening over in Italy? What's this thing coming out of China? Wait, what do you mean it's here? That's yeah, it. yeah, that was pretty much it. And uh, we knew it was here, but most people just didn't take it very seriously. Most of my friends were saying that it was just a big flu and that uh, it didn't really matter. And uh, until they just closed uh, all the shops and restaurants and bars, and then two days later, they told us that we had to stay home. And that lasted for two months. Wow. Okay. Uh, let, let's go, I guess, I guess more optimistic and happy news. We're here to talk about your game, Tin Can. Um, so maybe how would you describe to us Tin Can? Because like, I've kind of seen stuff and I have an idea in my head, but I want to see how accurate I am. Okay. So the idea behind, behind Tin Can was that I... Most of the concepts I have for games, and, and uh, I've made a few games, but mo I've mostly worked with small teams before to make them. But I have a lot of ideas that I, I hope someday I'll be able to realize into games. Uh, one, most of them are based around things that I wish I could play as a gamer. Like, you know, the frustration that you can have because you have that perception of a game you would absolutely love to play, but it doesn't exist and you wait for years and no one does it. So you're like, okay, uh, I'm going to do it myself. And that was the idea. So the concept was based around the fact that I really loved games such as uh, Faster Than Light or the newly released uh, Space Heaven. Uh, you know, these games that make you, uh, that put you inside a simulated spaceship. It's very realistic. You have to deal with everything that's going on, the different systems, the life support, the crew, and so on. But I was always very frustrated because... They had a very uh, macro vision of the interaction with the systems and everything. So, for example, in Faster Than Light, you deal with the entire crew, you deal with the entire ship. But if there's a system that's failing, I don't know, like the, the life support system, it's just one single thing that's called life support. And if you lose it, you, your crew starts to die. Mm -hmm. And if you want to fix that system, you just send a, crew, uh, a crewmate there and you say fix it and and it's done. So... There isn't really uh, the feeling that I always loved about science fiction. Like, you know, when I was a child, I was obsessed about, um, uh, I don't know how you call it in English, you know, when you have a like a sort of engineering view cut in half of stuff. Oh, like those, like, like, I know you're so like the idea is a lot of science textbooks, so like cut an atom in half and you kind of see the insides so for like a diagram. Yeah, exactly. So that's something that I was obsessed with when I, when I was a kid, like seeing how a, a something worked from the inside and seeing all the different components and the pipes and, and, uh, and the wires and how they connect. And I was feeling like this was definitely lacking from these games. I wanted to feel like, you know, the astronauts in the Apollo mission. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Apollo 13. Um, mm -hmm. uh, really this feeling of being an astronaut who's, um, who's, lost in a small spaceship space is a terrible harsh environment 
anything can kill you. The only thing that's keeping you alive are tiny, very complex technologies that you need to make sure are still working properly. And when something goes wrong, you really put your hands inside the systems trying to understand what component is not working properly. Where is the, uh, where is it shorting? Something like that. And I felt like there was no game that allowed you to do that. So the basic idea behind Team Can is that you're lost in an escape pod. You've just ejected from your ship. And the only way you can survive, everything is very realistic. And the only way you can survive is by uh, opening the different systems and really meddling uh, up. Like everything is at the component scale. It's not like just you have the life support system and it's either working or not. It's really the idea that um, it's not working. Well, why is it not working? Maybe uh, it's not turning on because the electric uh, the electric connector is is damaged and it's not delivering enough power. Or maybe it's the fuse that's damaged and it's stopping the system from starting. Or maybe it's the air filter that's dirty and it's not releasing enough oxygen into the air because of that. So you really have to understand how each component works and what they do when they're not working properly and try to retrace the failure back to the source so that you can fix things. So that's the main concept behind the game. Okay. So one of the things that you said there, which I think is very interesting, so FTL obviously is, you said, a major influence for you. One of the things I think made FTL relatively easy to read and I think probably helped us popularity a lot was how that you it was a top-down view. It was a very limited view, kind of like 2D. Like you had very contrasting things where one of your things is you're pushing this in a more realistic setting i'm curious yeah. if you're concerned that you're giving the user too much data too quickly and that would overwhelm them well that's a bit that, that's kind of the point of the game um you know i had that question i'm so I've, I've also been trained as a game designer as much as a 3d artist and one of the first thing i thought was exactly what you said was like okay, this is going to be confusing for the player. That's a lot of information. I'm not putting things, uh, I'm not presenting things in an easy way to understand. But that was not the point. The point was more, okay, if tomorrow you're in space and you find yourself lost in a tiny escape pod and everything goes wrong, like in real life, you wouldn't understand what's going on. You would be completely lost. There would be so many confusing things around you. So I really thought it was important to get that feeling as well. So it's not a game that's going to be easy to grasp at first, but the more you play it, the more you die in many horrible ways uh, inside the pod, the more you start to understand what matters, what doesn't, how things work, and everything seems to uh, get more and more clear over time. So how how influenced were you? So obviously FTL, I think, is a prime example of this. But how influenced were you by like other roguelikes then to kind of like use those systems, a lot of those games kind of use to like teach your player? Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not sure I got your question. So, like, so, like, rogue. I think, I think, what you're describing there fundamentally is your game, in a lot of ways, is taking the ideas of roguelikes but putting it in a more, I hate to say, serious setting, but kind of that's probably what fits. And... Yeah, there's certainly a bit of inspiration from roguelikes, but I wouldn't say that it's the main inspiration. I think, um, it's funny because a lot of people, uh, after playing the game, say that it kind of feels like an escape game. Okay. Uh. And that's kind of true. I think one good comparison, uh, another source of inspiration was uh, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. I, was, I saw that in a lot of your stuff too. I was thinking that. Yeah, because uh, there's a manual inside the pod that contains all the information about all the different systems and components and, and everything you, you might need to know. 
Uh, and there's really this idea that when you first play, uh, there's a lot of buttons, there's a lot of systems, there's a lot of components. You got no idea what to do, and you figure it figure it out over time with the manual and understanding how systems work. And so I think it makes it closer to an escape game than really a roguelike. The only roguelike aspect is going to be that yeah, you're you're definitely going to die on if your first games, and it's going to take you a while to uh, manage to last longer and eventually uh, last long enough to be rescued. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So one of the other things I'm curious about is, and maybe this was just a your expertise or a pipeline problem, is uh, looking at this game fundamentally, I'm really surprised you didn't try to push for this as a virtual reality game. Haha, <laughs> I, I was abs- I knew you were going to ask that question. Um, so originally the concept was in VR. Okay. Uh, when I first thought about that game, it was in VR. There, there was a lot of stuff that I really thought that this would really... Uh, like VR would really suit that concept. But when I got the opportunity to make the game um, and to work full-time on it with uh, with my current producer, um, the thing was that I only had one year uh, of funding to make the game. And uh, the priority was to make it, it, since the concept was still, uh, um, would already be limited to a certain uh, target of players. Um, I didn't think I would have enough time and ability to make the game in one year in VR alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and we weren't sure back then that uh, the, the target players that would be interested in the game, we thought there would be, there wouldn't be enough of them already equipped with VR or ready to buy VR for the game for it to be uh, profitable. But lately, uh, everyone's been asking about VR, so we're starting to think, okay, maybe it would be good to make it VR. Uh, We're still going to release it in early access uh, as it is in the current version. But if the game um, is liked by the players, and if we have enough support, uh, we would definitely like to do something uh, VR-related about the game. So that is... So you, you perfectly segued for me is that I think the thing that's intriguing about this game to me. So a lot of these games, because your game is a very specific loop, maybe with some variation to it of like, I have to figure out, kind of like learn these base mechanics and then kind of like learn to survive in my ship. Um, yeah. Are you concerned that in early access, like early access games, a lot, a lot of times I think the best kind of early access games are, like I actually think roguelikes are one of the best things for early access games because they're so regenerative. Are you concerned yep. that once players just kind of learn your game, that like they might learn everything in early access, and that might like l- worry about the tail? I'm a bit worried about it, but I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue because uh, the game is uh, all the systems and the components in the game are acting in a simulated way, which means that no game is ever the same. Um, I mean, I've been I've been working on coding the systems and components for a year and a half now. And my associate and I are still sometimes surprised by situations that are occurring inside the game. Like we're going to have a failure and we're going to try to understand what's going on. And sometimes we're almost going to die, even though we we are used to the game and we know, we know by heart everything that's in it because uh, there's uh, an organic nature in the way components interact with each other, which can make it really, um, uh, well, make every game completely different depending on how the events that are taking place are going to affect the systems, which systems they're going to affect 
and how a system can create a chain reaction with the others. So again, right now, it still happens that I'm doing debug on the game and I'm going to spend one hour, one hour trying to understand why that bug is happening only to realize that it's not a bug. It's actually perfectly logical. <laughs> it's just a behavior of the components that I did not see uh, before. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So that actually is very interesting of like, I didn't think of like the idea of like debugging this game. Is it is it like you just sit down and be like, I hope I get the bug again? Or do you have like some sort of like debug tools? Like, okay, I can force this event and this event and this event and like hope they work. Well, most of the time, the, the bugs are obviously bugs. Um, sometimes you still have a bit of doubt, but when that will happen, and we'll usually pose everything and check all the variables and go uh, from one system to another. It's very organic, but everything makes sense. I know that this component is interacting with this one that's interacting with these two. So it's just, in fact, it's funny because it, it, I realized that this means that when I'm debugging the game, I'm pretty much playing the game the way players play the game. <laughs> because if there's a bug in my game, I'm going to retrace the behaviors of the components and systems until I find the source of the bug, the same way that players are going to be uh, trying to find the source of the problem by retracing steps inside the systems in the game. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes sense. Also, sounds like a literal pain in the butt because just how much... It's like, so like I'm working on some stuff and then like at least that stuff, I'd be like, okay, there's a very specific thing. I could hop on this debug level, test this one feature. We're great. But you have to make sure all your features also interact with each other and don't break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, so sometimes it's a nightmare, but it's also extremely satisfying when you see something happening before your eyes that make per perfect sense, but you never even thought it could happen. And it's just super rewarding, like a system that's going to blow in a way, it's going to cause a chain reaction and, and just uh, burn to crisp all the other systems. Mm -hmm. And you're like, whoa, okay, that makes perfect sense. I had no idea that this could happen. That's so fucking cool. Wow. Okay, great. So I have, I have one more important question for you here, because I don't have the data anywhere, and it seems like you're very tight-lipped on it. Um, when... Can people come over and play this game? Because apparently on Steam, you just have the nice coming soon tag still. Yeah. Um, it's definitely going to be released. I'm, I'm talking about the early access version. Mm -hmm. um, the first early access version should be released by the end of the year. So it's probably going to be... Uh, I can't give you a precise date because we're still uh, working on some, uh, some stuff to try to figure out uh, exactly what we want to add uh, that's still not in the game for the release, uh, but it's probably going to be end of October or, or November, and at the worst, maybe the beginning of December. <laughs> and then maybe the worst, maybe 2021. That's called Game Development yeah. 101. <laughs> that, that, definitely, but but that's not the goal. The goal is to release it uh, at worst in November. And then your goal is about a year-ish of early access? Uh, yeah, probably. That will completely depend on on how many players uh, play the game, how they like it, and what they want to add. Uh, we always welcome players to join us on our Discord, and we really want to create the game with them because there are so many things. Like For us, the early access is just a proof of concept at this point of what could be done with that type of game because now it's just an escape pod with a, a few systems and about 20 components. But you can think 
uh, I don't know, you, you could imagine a, a full spaceship uh, in multiplayer with all the systems working that way, a hundred different components and a hundred different systems. And, uh, and that would work with that concept. So the question now is where do we, where do we want to go and where do players want us to go? Mm-hmm. And depending on that, that will completely change uh, the roadmap for the next year or more. Perfect. Actually, I have one more question for you, because it's looking like, obviously, you're going to do the fun early access thing of changing your price dynamically as, as development goes on. Uh, do you yeah. have at this point what your initial price is, or is that still TBD? Um, we're still unsure about it. Uh, it's probably it's probably going to be around $20, but I can't, I can't be sure of it. That depends on uh how many players seem to be interested in it uh before we we do the early access it's also based on uh what we need depending on the number of sales uh for my producer to be able to get his money back which is obviously the basics if you want to sell something mm-hmm. uh so at at the moment we're thinking $10 probably around that could be could be 5 could be 15 i don't know so, uh, yeah I understand. Don't worry. There's always that fun thing. You'd be like, how much is this? When you like the fun, like back in calculations, you're like, okay, if I do this math, I have to sell this many units. You're like, when, when is this breaking point? Uh, exactly. The more expensive you sell it, the less players will buy it. But the less uh, you But need. you have to find the right balance, you yes. know. No, that is, that's great. Uh, general note, I think it's uh, the publisher of No More Words. There's a few GDC talk stories on game prices that I find fascinating if you're, when you guys are deciding uh, that talk about like, how sales work and based on pricing it's very interesting and it might be worth you guys looking out uh but that's yeah sure uh yeah remind me i have to send you those links uh but otherwise yeah again thank i want to thank you for sitting down with me let's see so your game is tin can uh you are part of yeah. tin can studio i like i like the company. yeah how original i'm really so i like how the next game then you're gonna have to like keep the tin can thing going so it's gonna like you know like tin can colon like astronaut on this or like to, you're gonna have to like sub them just to keep your studio name <laughs> make sense <laughs> yeah that that, that could, we, we actually thought about it like if we do another one that's uh not inside an escape pod it could be a tin can uh, spaceship uh, you know tin can space station who knows perfect uh and then do you have any of the links you want to send the people to your discord your twitter any of that fun stuff yeah, well, uh, could def- if people are interested, uh, I could definitely give you the Discord link and, and the Steam link if they want to add the game into their wishlist. Perfect, yeah. Always wishlist Steam games. It really helps a ton. And yeah, I will make sure to add that Discord link to the description of this podcast. So that way, anyone who wants to join and learn more about the game has an easy ability to do so. Uh, so again, thank you for sitting down and talking to me uh, during what's probably a very busy time for you. And I hope you enjoy the rest yeah. of the day. I will, and thank you for receiving me. That that was really nice. This episode is partially brought to you by the Humble Choice Program. Did you know Humble Bundle has a great monthly subscription service that lets you get a ton of video games every single month? That's right. From plans ranging from $5 to 20 bucks a month, you get a hold of a bunch of free games they have available to you. And you can use our code down in the description below to go and sign up. It would help our podcast and help you see what great games are available for you this month. Hello everyone and welcome back to another of these fun interview episodes of the SWW Show. I'm Mike, today with me, an entire 
like gang of guests today with me. Let's 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 start around the room, and we're going to talk about uh, what your name is and what you do on the game. So I guess we'll start okay. with Vito. Yeah, um, I'm a lead uh, game developer of Stressout. Uh, my role is mostly coding and then uh, just game designing. Yeah, more or less that. Okay, Nick. Yeah, I'm Nick Sarek. I'm a lead 3D artist, and I'm working on. I'm kind of technical artist as well, and I'm working on the level design and all of the art actually. Perfect. And then lastly, we have. Oh yeah, hi. I'm Romano. So I'm the marketing manager. I do. Um, I write article, articles. I uh, watch over our social media channels, and I try to brainstorm as much as possible to. Uh, get as much attention uh, to get as much attention about stress out as possible <laughs> perfect so i th i think let's let's start with what i find most interesting so as we're here to talk about stress out which is you guys new vr game coming out soon um i find it interesting let's start with i guess romano then that you guys actually are an indie team with an actual marketing person on there i feel like that's where most indie teams fail is not having someone whose job that is yeah romano want to talk about it I was gonna say, so why why did you guys think that that um, go to that step? Oh, uh, so like I think it's absolutely necessary if you wanna like grab some audience. Otherwise, your game is probably gonna, gonna get unnoticed, uh, especially Steam driving traffic uh, based on how much traffic you brought. Um, so you need some body, especially if you invest some money in in the game. So like when we yeah when some money went into the game, we decided like we need somebody to actually help us get it back in a way, you know, mm -hmm. so we can support further developments. No, that that makes actual sense. So, as far as I can tell, and maybe I'm wrong, this is your guys as a team first, like, big game? Um, yeah. So, do you, yeah. whoever, I guess whoever would be, would, would make sense telling that. Can we talk about, like, how did this game come to be? Kind of like, do you guys, do you guys know each other forever? Like... Um, it's uh, so... me and Nick, ba basically, that we're talking about like making a game uh, a long time ago. We did a small prototype like two years ago, or no, sorry, maybe even longer. Um, just like a really uh, small prototype, nothing to do with VR, really, just to see if we can work together. Uh, and we got busy a bit. And then eventually, like, we got back together and we both had VR and we wanted to make a game, yeah. Hmm. So yeah. Why, why VR? Is it just a new tech at the time? Um, yeah, I guess uh, it, the the space is still open for indies, I think. Um, so you don't have major players, so you, you probably can have a bigger impact. Um, the mechanics are fun, there's so much things to explore. Um, especially like telekinesis and this kind of stuff that you can't really do to the same level in normal PC games. So I think it re it's really fun to just build this thing. Okay, perfect. So, so let's, let's talk about the game specifically now. So the game, as you said, is Stress Out. Uh, the way I think of the game is we just get to destroy shopping carts and, and we go in a store and just destroy it. Is that an incorrect way to call it? Say it. I, I guess it's okay. Um, it's a start. Um, so the game, I think it's really like what we wanted to make it. It's a re relaxing experience where you can do like more things that you can do in real life. Uh, so for example, I don't imagine myself playing Job Simulator and enjoying it a lot you know like it's good it's experience you know like you can try vr and really enjoy it uh for some time but it's not something uh like for me uh, that would keep me in long term um yeah do you want to add something to it nick 
yeah, actually, I think we wanted to build some kind of casual, because it's basically our first game as a studio, so we wanted to build some kind of casual destruction game because we both like to destruct things, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to merge this technology, VR technology, with many, many items that you can manipulate in the in levels, actually. And so it's you can have some larger items and smaller items just throwing around around the levels. So let's let's jump there then. What is your guys' favorite thing? Would you say to either mess with or destroy of the stuff you've announced so far in the game? Um, we've announced the humans just recently, so it's definitely fun to like pull a human in with telekinesis, have like a, a small guy floating in your hand, and then just shooting him into the shelves, and everything flies around. Uh, like the like this chaos like just makes it fun, I think. Um, yeah, and, and Nick brought in some new uh, melee weapons, and <laughs> let's just say the development uh, part of the team had a lot of fun um, <laughs> experimenting with humans. So let's just sit down. So so I want to I want to talk about this human thing second because obviously I think the ample view comparison for you guys I think is immediately job simulator from like some of the level stuff. And I'm curious, because, like, that game obviously was very strong of, like, we're not violent, there's no humans, but you guys are, like, we're adding humans in the mix. How do you keep your, like, very cartoony look? Because I think you guys have this cartoony, like, obviously playful kind of, like, hey, it's a, it's a sandbox, go have fun look to it. Once you add humans into it, like, how do you keep that tone? Yeah, uh, we wanted to do, like, we didn't want to go too realistic without with it, so there won't be any blood or any... We don't want any violence inside. Just, just pure fun, uh, pure fun with ragdolls. So we just put it very low poly, uh, kind of cartoony characters inside, and make them even the more like, uh, like we want to include some comedy inside as well. So we're gonna have voiceovers and everything is gonna be very funny, not not very strict or very serious. So even design is. Uh, Everything is designed this way to be more funny than serious. Yeah, or violent. I think like even the, yeah. the sounds like, you know, when you hit the human, it's like, ooh, or some, some like random stuff, one sound, you know. See, it's quite good. I'm surprised you guys didn't just like do the VO yourself. So we like, you guys should like go in the office and like hit each other and that way you use that actual noise when someone gets hit and that way you feel relatable. Sorry, say that again? I said, I said, I'm surprised you guys don't just go in the office and like hit each other on like a recorder and then you just know what it sounds like to actually hit a human. And that should be like the actual noises you guys are using. Oh, well, yeah, we could make a sound like that. Uh, yeah, kind of. So, while you're going through designing this, then, is there something particular that you guys look for of, like, obviously you guys probably different powers, like hitting humans, like, is there, like, a, on the back end, do you guys have some sort of design book? You're like, okay, every power here is based upon something or some level of like chaos that's controllable or do you guys just like, we'll just throw anything in the engine and see what works? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, we kind of have like the main thread what goes behind the game that we we, we just don't have a great pitch yet. Um, but essentially like time is frozen, right? All the things in the shop are at the beginning colorless. Um, and then you have to like bring them back in time by coloring them and you color them by hitting them with other things. So essentially you just have to go and make destruction in the game. Hmm. Um, but I hope this answers yeah. the question yeah exactly i'll buy uh, 
when you're doing that, you have an AI attached to your watch on your wrist, which is um, which is trying to uh, how would, how would you say it? It's, it's an trying evil. to yeah, it, it's it's evil and it's trying to convince you to do the morally wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, for example, if you have a you have a human character. Uh, somewhere on a, on heights or something, you can you can decide what you're gonna do. Are you, are you gonna help him, or are you gonna not really kill him because you can't kill him, but you can push him somewhere down the stairs, or you know, it's it's not proper violent, but it's just a little bit, just uh, to spice yeah, to spice everything. Okay, no, that, that. all of this, what we've been talking about, has not yet been released this is coming with the next big uh, beta 3 update uh somewhere in september yeah i was gonna say I'm like I, this is not stuff i remember the the giant stuff like that um so yeah that's, actually, that's a good one so you guys are in a closed beta right now as we talk and i think romano this probably would fall on you a lot being the marketing guy how do you guys kind of balance the idea of keeping it in a closed beta to get enough like people playing it but not so many that like you'll lose buyers when the game comes out. Well, we are actually keeping a, a very small group of insiders who get the first, uh, who get the updates first, and they, uh, it's, a, it's a smaller group of, of, um, of under 15 people, and they're giving us like totally honest and direct feedback, and then Based on that feedback, we um, decide right away if we're going to release uh, the update or not. Um, Vito, would you like to add uh, some, something at this point? Yeah, so we, we need to keep the feedback manageable, right? And then we didn't want to have too much people in the um, in our testing phase. And then like some updates are more broken than the other ones, especially now in beta, right? So we have this smaller insider group we release first to them. And then if it's good, good to a bigger group. Uh, but like to answer your question, like how do we know if this is not gonna uh, stop our sales later? We don't really, but like we we believe like it's important that people try the game and tell us like what they want and uh, what's wrong, what to improve. Um, and this first closed beta was like really really for that. Like we we learned that our core mechanics were too hard to start with, so there there has been lots of work going on into tutorial. Um, and then like f- first closed closed beta is not focused on like any big content or like having all of these fun elements in it, but really just about exploring if our core is working well, you know, coloring things, going through the levels, all of this. No, that, that, that makes sense of, I always picture the first time I give someone a beta group, it's like, tell me if the game breaks, then we'll ask about it being fun in a second. Cause a lot of times you're like, there's so much going on and there's only so many, so many hours in a day to actually make sure stuff always works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the thing that I'm curious about, so obviously as we talk about, you guys are a decently small team. It's your guys' first game. And yeah. you guys are launching in a VR, which is a platform that I think what's interesting about it, it's a growing platform and it continually is. But I feel like games, it's not growing in the same rate I think people expected it to. So how have yeah. you guys been balancing that in mind while creating this game? Kind of Have you ever crossed your guys' mind to be like, we're going to do a not VR version? Or is it kind of like, no, we believe in this platform, it's going to go for this all the way? Uh, we wanted to make a VR game for, for us. Uh, like at the end of the day, for us, it doesn't matter as much to like make money and be huge or anything like that. We really just want to release a good game. Um, of course, we want to like cover our investments. You know, I don't wanna we, we don't wanna lose money with it. Um, but yeah, like we just want to make a good game. 
the, I think even the, 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 the core main... mechanic, right? Is uh, is meant to be VR. The the core mechanic couldn't really be that good in usual PC game or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because we think that's the 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 point of VR that you can experience reality in in a new way and you can uh, unleash your inner demons and your inner your inner demons and uh, try to wreak havoc uh, to the to your surroundings, which you cannot do uh, in real life. You can. They frown upon that if I go to a real grocery store and use my inner demons in it. I'm sorry. Can, I, can I, I, it's really that? frowned upon if I go into like a real grocery store and do all this, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. You could do that, yeah. So for us, it was real. Like, what are you not allowed to to do in real life? You know, like, well, you can you can destroy stuff. Sure, you know, like things things people have fun with. And one of the things we noticed is like when we gave VR to like um, to different friends, when they put it on, and if there was a game with like I don't know a cop on a table, they would take it and try to break it, you know, throw it in the wall, like, I'm not allowed to do this in real life, let's try to do it in VR, you know. Um, and we kind of wanted to build on that. Mm-hmm. So I have one more big giant question, and it might be any of you three, I'm not sure. Where did the name Stress Out come from for this game? Because obviously, like, it, the name, I feel like, it's it's, a, it's very interesting, like, how that's a name that I feel like doesn't inherently tell me what the game's about. Uh, oh, I was expecting it's gonna tell you what is it about, but uh, so it, it comes from my girlfriend actually. Um, I was just telling her like, yeah, with Nick we are building this game, you know, like it, it has to relax you, you have to go through it, it it's fun, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, like I don't play the games to be stressed, you know, like it should unwind me at the at the end of the hard day, you know. Um, and then my girlfriend just like said stress out or something, and then I messaged Nick, hey, what do you think? Uh, he asked some of his people, and I was like. Sounds actually good, you know. Let's go with it. Hmm. Okay, perfect. So let's let's go down. I guess let's start with because it's the order I have you on my screen. We're start with Vito, then Nick, then Romano. Let's. I want to go one at a time. Kind of, what is your guys' favorite either feature or thing to do in the game as you're just kind of messing around with it? Uh, okay. Um, well, mine is definitely like when a huge number of items fly around. If you like. I don't know if you spell cast. One of the things you can do in the game is like you put your hands in front of you, you open your palms, and like the items that you sucked in before appear in a ball spinning, and you can shoot them all all out at once, like 30 items or something like that. And if you shoot this into like loads of other items, like it's just a fun experience, no matter where you do it. Hmm. Yeah, for me, uh, I really like that feeling when you have all the upgrades because you start you start kind of slow, so it's not overwhelming everything. But at the end, when you have all the upgrades, it's it's pure fun when you collect them. You know, it's just this is some kind of sphere, since graphically and sound is very nice. And when you collect it, it's some kind of like ASMR a little bit. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's my favorite uh, part, kind of. Nice. And then Romano. Yeah. So for me, it would probably be the 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 collectibles that are coming in the next update so they're going to be three different um so basically what we were doing while developing the game we were also thinking about introducing a storyline to it right and we've been playing around with the idea of uh, collectible items uh, so in the game they're actually going to be cassettes in which you're going to uh if you, 
which you'll be able to play, and they're going to tell you more about the three characters that were in this uh, setting before you as a player, and you'll be able to hear about their story and what uh, actually is, happened to them and how the watch on your wrist was actually uh, very bad all along, uh, whereas at the beginning it was portraying itself as your helper. So that would probably, yeah, <laughs> that is that would probably be my favorite thing. That is definitely uh, something I didn't expect to be answered with. I'll give honest with you. Perfect. So let's let's see if I get this right. Then the game is stressed out. It's coming out. It says Q4 of 2020. Is that what you guys are sticking with? Uh, yeah, hoping yeah. for to have early access out it out in that time. Okay, and then it's for Vive, Oculus Rift, and Valve at this point. Yeah. Steam, uh, Steam VR, basically. And then, at this point, nothing about, like, Aquas Quest or any of the mobile ones? Uh, no, unfortunately. it's Yeah, it, there's too much physics, and Unity is not built for it. You know, there, there are, like, 2,800 items in one place. Yeah. In one level. Unity's physics and engine is not good for much. scaling down. <laughs> it's good for scaling up, not always scaling down. <laughs> yeah, true. Perfect. Well, again, guys, I want to say thank you for sitting down with me, uh, taking time out of your evening to talk about stress out again everyone the game comes out sometime in early access in q4 of 2020 just yeah, search yeah, yeah. stress out on steam i assume at some point on the oculus store and go yeah, hopefully add it to your wish list and all that fun stuff thank you very much for having us yep thank you all right it was a pleasure thank you guys have a good one this podcast was a production of the sww show to learn more, go to theswwshow.com. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter at theswwshow. You can follow me at Mikey underscore Maroney. You can follow AJ at Lossiebor. Remember, new episodes premiere on Friday, 9 a.m. Central Time on anchor.fm slash SWW and podcast services around the globe.